Good morning now. If you have your Bibles, would you open up to Isaiah chapter 6. Today we kick off a new series and uh, I don't know, part of me wanted to get a pulpit for the beginning of this series. When we talk about holy, I don't know what you think of, when I think of the word holy, I, I honestly, I think of pulpits. I think of suit coats, but I'm allergic to those. I, I, I wore my holy jeans. I got a few groans out of that one. I think of a lot of things. And this morning we did what we should do and what we ought to do when we think of the word holy is we, we praise the Lord and we worship him. And so today would you do me the honor of standing for the reading of the word this morning? It's been a while since we've done that. It was in the year King Uzziah died that I saw the Lord. He was sitting on a lofty throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple. Attending him were mighty seraphim, and each having six wings. Two wings they covered their faces. With two wings they covered their feet. With two they flew. And they were calling out to each other, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. Their voices shook the temple and its foundations, and the entire building was filled with smoke. And then I said, it's over. I'm doomed, for I'm a sinful man, and I have filthy lips. And I live amongst the people with filthy lips, yet I have seen the King, the Lord of heaven's armies. Jesus, I pray that in this series, as we launch out for Four weeks of messages into the holiness of God. I pray that you would return perhaps the wonder that we have lost. You return the awe that has gone away. That you give us a fresh vision of who you are. As well as a fresh vision of who we are. Capture our attention. Capture our focus, capture our hearts, that we might know you in a deeper way. That when we walk away from each Sunday, that we could truly say that we are different than the way that we have walked in. Because we have met together, we have gathered together to meet with the Most High. And Lord, we know this, you are faithful. You'll meet with us. You'll reveal your presence to us in deeper capacities and deeper ways. Transform us, Lord. We speak it all in Jesus' name. And everyone said, amen. You may be seated. Uh, that word filled is used up a few times in this scripture. And so I've tried my best to fill the worship center with things like the smell of myrrh. Some of you walked in. Did we get a fireplace? No. It's the smell of myrrh. And now I did ask my staff, what does God smell like? My wife said cinnamon rolls. I couldn't do that to all of you. I've heard fresh bread. Pastor Juan, no, sorry, Pastor Carissa, she said my pillow, but you don't want that smell here. Pastor Juan, he's like, because I said, what, is, what does God smell like? He goes, 
there is this Puerto Rican restaurant, and there's a vent on top that just pumps out the smell, and I'm convinced that he might be the one that might be right. And so I wanted to fill the atmosphere, kind of symbolizing Isaiah, he saw God, and the train filled the temple, and the sound filled the room, and so we wanted a smell to kind of fill the room. We wanted Emily to play worship in the background to kind of fill it. So we've got this kind of sensory experience of what we're talking about when we think about God high and lifted up. Because you can see it on the screen being read from the scriptures. You're going to begin just to hear worship and, and, and just kind of filling the room. You've got this smell that's, for some of you, like, I hate this smell. Don't ever do it again. For others of you, like, do this all of the time. But we wanted to fill this place because I believe that God wants to meet with us and God wants to transform us. And, and what we're experiencing in this room, I'm here to say, we don't have to keep it to this room. God wants to fill your lives. He wants to fill your car. He wants to fill your homes. He wants to fill the schools that you go to. He wants to fill the workplaces that you go through. That everywhere we go, that we would have the fragrance of Jesus from our lives. So this month, we're going to capture a glimpse of the holiness of God. The holiness of God. I read a story about a woman that went into Ben and Jerry's. I'm talking about food again. She went into Ben and Jerry's ice cream shop, and while she was ordering, another customer came in behind her. So she grabbed her ice cream cone, she turned around and came face to face with the world-known actor Brad Pitt. He was in town filming, and she locked eyes with his, and she said this, his blue eyes made my knees buckle. And so she finished paying, and she hurried out of the store. She stood outside to compose herself, and then she realized she was missing her ice cream cone. And so she says, i got to get my ice cream cone. So she turned to go back in, and who did she run into? Brad Pitt's. And he spoke to her saying, are you looking for your ice cream cone? Unable to utter a word, she nodded, yes. He says, you put it in your purse with your change. <laughs> I had a friend of mine that met one of our presidents years ago, and he goes, I'm so excited, I had a because we each got to ask the president a question. And he says, and when the president walked in the room, it was as if all of the air in the room got sucked out, and I was unable to feed myself air to even utter words without stuttering, without mumbling. He said, just the presence of the leader of the, of the free world, the, the most powerful nation on earth, he said, in that moment, I just lost myself. I've had people talk about that when they've seen athletes, movie stars, famous people. That somehow they just got to lose something in you. Let me ask you this question. Have you ever had a Ben and Jerry's moment with God? Where you were encountering his presence in such a way that you lost all track of time. You forgot what you were going to do next. 
You forgot about your to-do list. You forgot, to, you stopped looking at your watch. You stopped checking your phone to see what you're going to do after service. Have you ever been caught up in worship or prayer or you're reading the scriptures and all of a sudden you got a glimpse of God so much that you were shook from the inside out and you beheld the holiness of his presence and you just, everything that you had planned was just out the window. Have you ever had that? And the question is, when was the last time that has ever happened? It's a very sobering question, isn't it? When we talk about the holiness of God, we're not talking about a part of God. We're not talking about an aspect of God. Holy is who God is through and through. It's who he is. In, this, in verse number three, it said this, that these seraphims, these angels called out, holy, holy, holy is the Lord of heaven's armies. The whole earth is filled with his glory. That, now notice, it doesn't say that God is good, 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 or that God is love, love, love. Is God good? Yes. Is God love? Yes, First John chapter 4, verse 7 and 8. But I want you to understand something. As much as the scriptures say that God is good, that God is love, there's something that is actually pronounced about God more than those two things combined. And it is the fact that God is holy. And in Hebrew literature, in the Hebrew language, whenever you have words that are repeated, it's there for something very specific. It's making a point. In fact, in Jewish literature, when something is said twice, it is there for emphasis and importance. For example, when Jesus would say, truly, truly, I say to you, those two words truly are there to help you say, help you understand that what's about to be said is very important and needs to be emphasized. Or in the prodigal son, when he when he is talking with his father and the father calls him, my son, my son. I mean, did the father actually say that twice? We don't know if it actually happened twice, but in Hebrew literature, with the Hebrew mindset, the idea was he's trying to emphasize, you are my son. But when something is repeated three times, it's different from something mentioned twice. See, twice was a simple emphasis but Hebrew writers will say when something is said three times in a row, it is severe emphasis of the utmost importance. It's as if somebody is yelling something. So in other words, when the angels are saying, holy, holy, holy. Like my pastor growing up, whenever he said that, he would sing it, holy, holy, holy. Hebrew, some Hebrew writers suggest that the angels didn't say it three times. It was written three times to emphasize that angels were screaming out loud one word, holy, holy, holy. And they're shouting so loud that the scripture says that the very foundations of the ground shook the holiness of God. Did you know not once in scripture do we have an, a single attribute of God ever mentioned three times but the word holy right here and also in Revelation chapter 4. What is it emphasizing? What is it yelling? What is it trying to really give us in terms of importance? Is that when it comes to the holiness of God, his holiness is absolute, it's unalterable, it is essential, and it is total. He is holy. And to make God any less than that is to cheat him and even cheat us out of who he is. R.C. Sproul says this, a God who is all love, all grace, all mercy, no sovereignty, no justice, no holiness, no wrath is an idol. Mm. 
Now the word holy, man, we should do this every week. You should just play behind. <laughs> the word holy means to cut, to separate, to be dedicated to. To cut, to separate, to dedicate to. God would take things and take people and make them holy. And what he was saying is, those people are separated, they are dedicated apart unto and for God. For example, in the, the scriptures, God says, keep the Sabbath holy. The Sabbath was meant to be separated. We look at it as an inconvenient moment in the week where we've got to stop our week and actually go to church and show up and put our time in with Jesus, not recognizing that God gave us the Sabbath for us, not for him, and to keep it holy, to have one, that one day a week where we separate ourselves to worship him and to get refreshed. When Moses approached the burning bush, we're going to talk about the burning bush in this series, when he approached the burning bush, he said, take off your shoes because the ground for which you stand on is... It's holy. Now, was there something very special about the dirt itself that separated itself from any other dirt in the entire known world? Not at all. But it was holy because God said it and he set it apart. Because there's just something about things that are set apart, that are dedicated, that make it holy. Anybody in the room, you had a grandma that had a china cabinet? Anybody? I had one. We had a small china cabinet. Because how many don't know, when you go to grandma's house, you've got plates that are for the, the fries and the nuggets and the ketchup. They are the ordinary common plates that anybody gets to use. And so especially going to grandma's, we would have normal, you know, we had just normal staples of pot roast, which is, I believe, going to be served at the marriage supper of the lamb. I love me a good pot roast. And there's always the best cake. Don't even argue with me because you would be wrong. The best cake is yellow cake with chocolate frosting. The only cake to eat. Grandma would have that. And we would eat those on her ordinary plates. But guess what plates we never ate on? The stuff in the china cabinet, because that was saved for the queen. Or in case the president showed up. It would have to take somebody or something significant for those plates to come out. And let me tell you this. When those plates came out, cake was not going to touch those plates. Pot roast would not touch those plates. Nuggets were not going to touch those plates. There is something that would have been made extra special, put upon those plates. And the second those plates would have been done, they would have been carefully washed, carefully handled, and they carefully put back behind glass. They were set apart. They were unique. They were different. They were distinct. They were cut off from what is considered common. Metaphorically, those dishes were holy. Holy is only holy when it's separated unto God. Quite often I will joke about things being holy. But the reality is when something is separated for and unto God, that thing is holy. In the Old Testament, when they created the tabernacle and then the temple, they would take, art, they would take articles of furniture that somebody would make and they would anoint it and they would say, that is no longer to be used, that cannot be used in ordinary common homes that's going to be used in the house of God because it's now holy. When we dedicate children, we anoint those children and we anoint them and we pronounce them to be separated and to be the Lord's and His alone. Holy. We're here to talk about the holiness of God. If you haven't gotten my drift. Isaiah 6.1 And it was in the year King Uzziah died. It's such a simple way to start. 
And it gives us the most simple takeaway that kings come and kings go. Presidents come and presidents go. Dictators will come and dictators will go. Earthly Earthly authorities come, they go, but God is still alive. God is alive. He is here. God is holy because God has always been. Even after every king, every person, every star goes away, every planet goes away. Even when everything comes and goes, God will still be because he is God and he is holy. Life begins with God. For with him there is no beginning. He is God who is self-existent. We use the word transcendent. When we mention Uzziah, we recognize the state of Uzziah's authority and throne depend upon his life. In other words, when Uzziah died, his authority came to an end. That's the state of his throne. But the state of God's throne is here in in chapter 6, verse 1. It says this, that he was sitting on a lofty throne. One scripture says that his throne is high and lifted up. So the state of God's throne is high and lifted up. And that high and lifted up has nothing to do with altitude. But the word there, high and lifted up, it is a very Hebrew way to say that his throne has preeminence. His status is supreme. To be high and lifted up means he is God who is superior over all. Isaiah 57, 15, for thus says the one who is high and lifted up, who inhabits eternity, whose name is holy, I will dwell in the high and holy place and also with him who is of contrite and lowly spirit to revive the spirit of the lowly and to revive the heart of the contrites. In other words, he is the God that lives on high. His authority is on high and he doesn't have to borrow power or authority from anybody else. He is God. Even the president of the most powerful nation on this planet. He can make decisions. And the house can actually overrule him. As much authority. He has borrowed authority from four to eight years at max. He has borrowed authority. We have borrowed authority. But we serve a God who borrows it from nobody. In him is the one who is majestic. He is king with no equal. He upholds the world's orbit in his hands. He supplies the sun with heat and with power. Everything is within his hands. This is the one that is higher, not just seated, but in his ways. Isaiah 55, 8 through 9. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so my ways are higher than your ways, and my thoughts than your thoughts. It's in Isaiah chapter 40, verse 25. God looks at us and he says, To whom will you compare me that I should be like him, says the Holy One. He's like, who would you compare me to? What authority would you compare me? What, what power can you compare me? And I look at that and I say, God, no one. You are the Holy One. Not with a few rights, but a God with irrevocable rights over all that he has made. He is Lord over all. He is king and creator. And from him came all things, heaven and the earth. And not just for, from him, but they are for him. Psalm 50 verse 10 says that for every beast of the earth is mine. The cattle on a thousand hills. I know all the birds of the hills. All that moves in the field is mine. The world is his. The, hi- the hills are his. The cattle is his. Everything is his for he is the Lord. This is the one that Isaiah gets a hold of. The sight of God. 
Have you ever read Isaiah 6 and tried to imagine what Isaiah saw at that moment? How could he stand? The sight of God, the sheer volume of the angels screaming out, Holy! The robes filling the temple. And if that wasn't enough, the, sh the ground shaking beneath the feet of Isaiah. Everything around him shaking from the sound of the voice of these seraphim as they are singing about the holiness of God. And he's got no strength to move. And before him was exactly what it said in Isaiah chapter 1 verse 24. That he is the Lord of hosts. He is the mighty one of Israel. And it would have been easy, easy for, for Isaiah just to jump in with the seraphim and to lift up his hands and say, I'm going to join in and say, holy, holy, holy Lord God Almighty. He could have jumped in and, into worship, but actually his first word isn't holy. Do you see what his first word is? In one translation, or in our translation, it, he says, it's all over, I'm doomed. I love the New Living Translation. I find that it's such a modern day response because if you look at the ESV or other translations, you get one word and the word is woe. Well, it was me. He knew instantly, being in the presence of God, there was only one person that was holy, and it wasn't him. He, he walked into the temple, and his first response was, let me tell you who I am. Have you ever met people that loved giving their resume to try to impress you? He didn't walk in and flaunt, I'm a prophet of God, it's all good. He didn't walk in and say, I've got a position, I've been serving God, I've got this background of God, I've got this background of worship, I've got this background in ministry. His first response wasn't to flaunt what he had, but, but to repent who he was. You see, when we see the holiness and we think about the holiness of God, it should turn us inward before we turn outward. The holiness of God calls me to repentance before I demand it of other people. Quite often we're so quick to throw other people underneath the bus because if we're going to go down, we're going to take somebody else with us. Or when the spotlight gets on us and we feel awkward, we're very quick to pull in a coworker, to pull in a spouse, to pull in a child, to pull in somebody else. To, well, they're worse than me. I've had people say that to me. Pastor, I've been working on this stuff and I went to work and realized how much how messed up the people were at work and it made me feel better about myself. How often do we feel better about ourselves at the expense of others? And here Isaiah, instead of pointing to a nation that he was from that was wandering from God, he looked at himself and he began to repent. What does the word repent mean? It's, the, it's a Greek word. And the Greek word is metanoia. Meta, change, noia, the mind. It literally means I changed the direction of my life. What is repentance? It's when I was facing one direction, I decided to quit going that direction, and I'm turning back toward God. And Isaiah doesn't throw the nation under the bus. He starts with himself. I am a man of unclean lips. I live in a land of unclean lips. Confession, repentance is something that I believe... It's, it's something that we forget about and we've, we've, we've ignored and neglected for far too long as the greater church of Jesus Christ. And I believe confession repentance does five things in the life of a Christian. Number one, it causes me to acknowledge my sin before God. 
that I know and I take responsibility for my sin. Now notice it doesn't say that I acknowledge my sin before God and I look for people to blame for what I did and how I grew up. I'm acknowledging and I'm taking responsibility for my sin. Number two, it proves that I'm not trying to hide my sin from God, other, others, or myself. It humbles me. Number three, it shows me that I'm, taking, that I'm asking for and relying on God's strength to help me change. If you're repenting today, know this, that when you confess your sin before God, he doesn't leave you alone to clean yourself up and to get up on your merry way so that you can try to live right in his eyes. He doesn't just give you forgiveness, but he will empower you to live the life that he expects of you. He does. Number four. Repentance and confession allows me to be continually healed. I believe repentance is more than just a one-time act. We show up once a year to repent, once a week to repent. I would challenge you, include repentance on a daily basis in your everyday prayer. Unless you're a little bit better than me. I don't know about you. I think sometimes, if not all the time, I mess up at least once a day. Ask my family. Ask my staff. I believe repentance, it allows me to be continually healed. And number five, it sustains my relationship with God. And I find it so peculiar that Isaiah gives the words that he gives in front of this holy God. He says, I am a man of unclean lips. It doesn't seem like, it seems like he, he cusses a lot. That's, that's got to be what it was. He's confessing that he cusses a lot. And that's not actually what it is. Why does he confess about his mouth? Because the mouth reveals what the heart holds. Matthew chapter 15, we get the words of Christ talking about how out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so when Isaiah is saying, I am a man of unclean lips, what he is really saying is, I've got things that are deep down in my heart that are wrong, that are off, that need to be corrected. Just being having a revelation of the holiness of God, cause them to look deep down and to recognize that something is very right with God and something is very wrong with me. And what's so cool about this scripture is God didn't tell him, listen, I'm holy. It's the seraphim that said it. But before the one whose mouth knows no deceit, before the one whose perfections are unreachable, before the one whose standard sits beyond what we could touch on our own, before God, our holy God, Isaiah knew that he was a sinner. Why? Because God is holy. He's holy. He is separate. He's distinct. And that distinctness, that separatedness, when we're in his presence, causes us to look on the inside and to realize there are parts of our lives they may not be so separate. They may be more like the world than they are like God. And that calls us to repentance. First impressions, could you prepare yourselves to serve us communion? A.W. Tozer says this. God is, he is absolutely holy with with, with an incident, incomprehensible, fullness of purity that is incapable of being other than it is. He is holy. And so first impressions, I'm going to ask if you would just grab those trays and walk down to the front and would you just serve everybody. And I would ask that if you want to be a part of community today, this is going to be part of our response. Would you take one of those 
cups. Because this is going to be part of our response to our holy God. Worship team, would you join Emily up here? Because we can easily look at this portion and see God high and lifted up and then feel like a nothing down low and feeling like, what can we do about this? Is there anything we can do about this? Is there anything we can change about our condition? What can we do? And what we have is Isaiah chapter 6, verse 6 says, One of the seraphim flew to me with a burning coal he had taken from the altar with a pair of tongs. He touched my lips with it and he said, See, the coal has touched your lips. Now your guilt is removed and your sins are forgiven. I love in this moment that even though Isaiah felt like he was dirty, he was broken, that God made a way for that sin to be cleansed. So when we look at Isaiah 6, we see that Isaiah 6 sets up communion between us and God. That God's holiness is transcendent and is pure. His incredible value is above all things. His irrevocable commitment to honor his name is there. He is Lord who uses his power for good. He is the king without blemish. He is a throne that is, his throne is independent of time. He is high and lifted up. And yet he humbles himself through Jesus Christ. This high and lifted up humbled himself to come to die for you and I. Have you ever felt unworthy before? I want to take you to the May the 4th, 1997. May not mean anything for anybody in this room outside of my wife. That is my first day of ever being a pastor on a staff, ever. Star Wars Day, May the 4th. I graduated Bible college the Friday before. Had Saturday to recoup from a drive from Springfield, Missouri to shave my face because our pastor didn't allow facial hair. Put on a suit and I walked in and I walked down the hallway because the pastors would gather outside the senior pastor's office and they would pray before they would walk out on the platform and sit on the platform. Remember the days where the pastors would just sit on the platform? Now we didn't have like fancy gold chairs but we, that's where we sat. But I, I walked in the hallway and I saw the associate pastors gathering in front of the pastor's office waiting for the senior pastor to make his grand entrance. And then they're going to have this prayer before we walk out and in front of the congregation. And so I saw them down the hall. And so they're over here gathering and they're talking and laughing. I walked down the hall and I'm over here. And I walked up and I stopped and I stood back. I just put my hands in my pockets and I just kind of stood like this. And after a while... One of the pastors turned and goes, Dave, what are you doing? I'm like, I didn't want to interrupt the, the pastors. You're, you're, you're the pastors. And he goes, but why are you keeping your distance? You're one of us. You're a pastor. Yeah, but don't give me a but. You're a pastor. You know what I love about communion? It's because we can look at our sin and feel like and also know what separates us from God. But when we could do nothing about that separation, and we felt like we were on the other side of the world, 
the holy God came incarnate. Jesus Christ came. He died and he rose again. And what he did was, like, you don't have to linger over here any longer. You don't have to be separated any longer. And what he did was he bridged the gap between us and him. And he, he came in and he poured his holiness so that we could be separate and distinct. And he brought us into his own. See, in the Old Testament, there was this lingering fear about the holiness of God. How do we know that? Because when the God was on the mountain, the presence of God was on the mountain, and the children of Israel, they couldn't even touch the foothills of the mountain lest they die. They wouldn't touch the Ark of the Covenant lest they die. They, they, they had a, a lingering fear about it. In fact, in the temple, in the tabernacle, there was this room that contained the presence of God. And it was so thick that once a year the high priest could go in. But even when he went in, the, in there, there was this trepidation of I need to go in there pure. But if something's not pure, I can lose my life. There was this fear of the holiness of God that lingered. But because of Jesus, the fear was dissipated. Does, it, does God reveal our sin? Of course he reveals our sin. We cannot look at the holiness and see our own sin. But he doesn't leave us in sin. He brings us over. He forgives us and he takes us in. He came. He rose. He sits where the, where the creatures sing what is true. Revelation 4 verse 8. The four living creatures, each of them with six wings... Eyes are all around and within, and day and night they never cease to say, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, and who is to come. You see, when we couldn't approach God in his holiness, he approached us in Jesus Christ. And through him, we receive a kingdom that cannot be shaken. Coming to God, we could truly say we have met with the Holy One. That the God that I described this morning... This is our king. This is the holy one. The one who sits on high and sits over everything. Not in terms of height, but in full authority. This is the one that we present our lives before. This is the one that changes us. This is the one that transforms us. I love what William Temple says. To worship is to quicken the consciousness by the holiness of God. When we worship, we feed the mind with the truth of God. We purge the imagination by the beauty of God. To open up the heart to the love of God. To devote to the will, to the purpose of God. This is what it means to worship the Holy One. I say this, may the Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. May he turn his countenance towards you and grant you peace as you see the holiness of Jesus Christ. Have an awesome Sunday afternoon. God bless. Enjoy the sunshine.